There was a list when Barcelona last thought about this. I've had a list time, haven't I? I've just got a message from Chubby. I can't, yeah, I can show you that. A nice little one, isn't it? Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. You ain't shit! I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. <laughs> Well, fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof it the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life, because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochard has never spoken to Jimmy McGinnis in his life. And this is Off The Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until 5. You can text us 53106 or stream in the conversation as well. So listen on News Talk and also watch us on the digital and social channels for Off The Ball, for Periscope and Twitter, at Off The Ball, YouTube, Facebook and on the OTB Sports app. Just to let you know in the Premier League, Leicester nil, Arsenal 2. This is the Saturday panel until half 2. We're going to review the sporting week now between uh, then and 2.35 with the uh, soccer correspondent of the Irish Times. Gavin, come and in studio, Gavin. How are Your you? Your first time. First time ever, yeah. In the this is my debut. Yeah, it's a, a beautiful place and uh, this magical right world uh, that, that we have here. And also on the line, we've got Cleena Foley, presenter of Off the Bench and journalist and the former Irish basketball team captain and coach, Timmy McCarthy. Cleena and Timmy, are you well? Great. We're bringing you Hall- hoping there'll be no Halloween horrors here. No trick or treating uh, on today's yeah, no, show. John, look- Looking forward to the chat. Looking forward to this. Uh, as always, as always, folks. I think we're going to start with a feel-good story of the week, folks. The win for the Irish women's soccer team in Helsinki in Finland. 2-1. I feel there's something really growing here. Um, I think we've moved to accountability stage now that it's just not all about, oh, that's interesting. It's actually about results. And I think Vera Pau proved herself in that regard the other day. There was a resilience there for Denise Sullivan to get that uh, winning goal just after we conceded. Uh, there's an excitement about the team. Gavin, you were there. And I feel it won't be. It might not be that long before this becomes an Aviva Stadium team. I was actually trying to report on that this week and I was speaking to them and the FAI were quite good, interested about it, that um, their goal is... They need to start packing out, probably for this qualifying campaign, certainly for the next two games. They need to be guaranteed that they can get 8,000. That's step one, you know, because 50,000 is a big leap. Unless they can get the entire lower deck of the Aviva, it's a a huge cost to go there. I think, I suspect from the games I've been going to, that there is a growing demand that we don't know about. Because just the interest of young teenage, from teenage girls down is everywhere I look at the moment, you know. Now, I have nieces, but... It's it's really evident. So I think the next qualifying campaign, or maybe a special friendly against a Brazil or something like that. But the, it could be the last next year to, to qualify and the last matches to qualify for this World Cup if Ireland's still in the running for the playoff, or even if they get a result in in Sweden. Um, the switch to the Aviva would be special for starters, um, and I hope it happens. It, I think it'll definitely happen in the next qualifying campaign, if not by the end of this one. There's a real marketing opportunity here, isn't there, Cleaner for? Um, this brand which is very sparkling at the moment for people like Katie McCabe to get into communities for them to be known for them to be on billboards and uh, for people to identify them with them as just as much as they would with Camogie players ladies football players and Gaelic football players yeah, our, our football players of, of either gender, I mean, as Katie McCabe, as we know at this stage, is an absolute superstar, and so is Denise O'Sullivan uh, in their leagues. They're amongst the best in the world. Uh, it's really interesting, John. Like, it's it's no it's no coincidence, I think, that they've picked up Sky as a sponsor. That's really interesting, you know, to see a company like that with that kind of reach come in and sponsor them. Um, 
And I think, you know, it isn't just that results against Finland. I actually thought their game against Sweden was a really good result. And I was at the Australian game as well, which I know was a friendly, but even still, they are building momentum. They've got themselves sorted. about them at the moment actually is the performance of new players. And that's what interested me was, was Pau going to bring in new players and how was she going to develop Carthy, you know, who's playing with Galway United, played in played in Scotland, um, is doing really well in defence at the moment because there are, there are absentees to injuries. It's really interesting to see how she's developed, how Heather Payne has developed up front. Um, you know, again, homegrown Roscommon player now playing um, in FSU in Florida State in America. So I think that what's really interesting to me is the development of players, how organised the team is getting and where they're going to go from here. Look, they should be winning their next two games and we've got two home games in November, which is great to see. Um, and it's in, it's an interesting point as well, your your point about, you know, is it time to give to get more people to those games or to give people the opportunity to go? And I li- liken that in some ways, but they're not on the same level of performance at all at the moment to the women's rugby team who are now going to get their first autumn internationals in the RDS. There's going to be an opportunity for more people to go and see live games. And I think that always helps, you know, that helps people to understand how good people are. You don't quite ever see it on television, I think. If we qualified, Timmy, for Australia and New Zealand, just imagine the country getting up early in the morning to watch the team in their first World Cup. It would be a big game changer. And I just really hope they don't mess up now these two matches against Slovakia and Georgia to keep the momentum going and get that playoff spot. It would be a really game changer because, first of all, we're great at following international teams, especially teams you know that qualify for big competitions, be it male or female. So I think what is important to understand, though, is we've won one game out of two. We just, you know, and Cleaner said we have two very big games coming up now, and we need to keep the momentum going. It'll be amazing to qualify. I also agree with Gavin if we could fill the Tallis Stadium first and have that rocking and rolling for, for the rest of these games, you know, the Viva Stadium could be the next qualifying campaign. But it'll be amazing to see an Irish women's team in the World Cup um, campaign um, or finals. I also think that the coach has done an amazing job. I think that she came in. Um, with a big reputation, and we are now seeing the benefits of the reputation. She's imp- imp- implementing her style. She's mixing the old and the new uh, as regards the players. And I was very impressed the other night in, in how they came back, you know, because you know they had a brilliant goal to start, and then obviously Finland responded, and we just hung in there. And I think that's a slight difference in what I've seen in, in women's football at international level from Ireland as in previous campaigns. What are the nuances that you saw in Helsinki that? Um, I, I think Vera, Vera Pugh can stand over her results she's doing a good job but I, I, I have to say I feel like since the Australian game it's been extremely player driven I don't think this team's going to get beaten easily anymore because their philosophy above all else above tactical stuff and all is, is we will outwork we will outrun every team we play against they did that to Sweden they definitely did it against Finland um, Heather Payne is the shining light above all of this she's 21 um, it's not unlike what Adam Eda's experienced where her, her performances in green are going to get her a long career in this game when she leaves Florida State she will be picked up by the WSL team or she'll be picked up in America by one of the top clubs like NC Courage where Denise O'Sullivan is and all that because uh, John Fallon actually said it in the examiner she became a star in the last few weeks and the poor thing is because she's a lone striker she's probably not going to get many goal chances but her work ethic was her levels of athleticism were just off the charts you know um, that was one thing I noticed um, I really feel though that it was the attitude of like Katie McCabe sat down and chatted to me and uh, Dave Kelly from the Indo just about half an hour after the game she's covered in ice packs and she sat down she spent a bit of time with us and that's another thing that they do they've no problem doing that you know like talking about there's no shield 
Um, there is, but they're happy to break it down and sit down and talk to you. They give you the benefit of the doubt that you're going to take their quotes the right way and all that. And um, they're open. They're not naive. She's just she she just knows that she's the spokesperson for this team, no one else. And we talked about how it was really frustrating watching her in that rigid, essentially left back when Ireland don't play when Ireland are against teams that have more possession than them. And Katie McCabe at left back is just not what you want to see because she's such a natural attacking, gifted player. Um, she said. But then you saw at the end of the game in the last 10-50 minutes when she broke out and she really should have scored twice. She had two good chances and she flashed them wide. And we were like, how did that happen? You know, How did you get out of such a rigid system? And she goes, she hears Louise Quinn behind her, give her the call. So they are uh, extremely tactically aware on the pitch. Like Louise Quinn realised that if we are backs to the wall with five defenders for this game, we're not going to hold out, you know. And uh, she, she cut cut Katie McCabe like, so she lets Louise she's the captain on the pitch but she lets Louise kind of lead her and all that kind of stuff just really impressed me you know and it, it tells me that um, I don't think we're going to see the mistakes and the errors that we saw against Ukraine in the last campaign that it's going to be a bit miserable next summer watching them not at the Euros for them and uh, losing Eileen Gleeson as an assistant coach is, is another thing that they're going to really miss but I feel like this team are are happy to control the controllables you know what I mean they're not going to let um, like kinks of unluckiness or bad luck deny them what they actually deserve that's that's what's overwhelming at the moment in their attitude they're just going to go out and they grab games you know which yeah. which is very rare for an Irish team in, in any male female over the years you know well let's hope it continues Gavin uh, next month uh, Stephen Kenny's 50 today happy birthday Stephen um, and this is set out for the Portugal game uh, next month and there's obviously a bit of controversy in the news this week about the timing of anti-ticket tout legislation with online uh, sales of Ireland Portugal tickets uh, way above face value pretty disgusting practice and obviously the legislation's coming in um, Timmy the sellout is it Stephen Kenny is it people just starve to go to a game is it the Ronaldo factor uh, what, what do you think it is it could be a combination of all three but I do believe that the um, the way Kenny's uh, playing the style of football is being appreciated. You know, we're not, we, we haven't got the best results, let's be very clear. We're not going to qualify this time around. But there is a progression. There is a progression. So that's definitely a factor. People have been starved of live sport, particularly in, in soccer from the point of view of, of crowds. So that's another factor. And look, Ronaldo, you know, has shown us how to break a heart. But there's a big Man United following in Ireland. So those three factors combined. Have, which I think is brilliant to see an Irish team in the Aviva with a sold out attendance would be tremendous. Irrespective of the results, you know, once we get a good performance and keep progressing, I just think it's a great, it's a great night to look forward to. The moral question over ticket touting, like obviously, I think there's general agreement that setting is distasteful and now going to be illegal. Uh, buying anybody who pays over the odds for a ticket, uh, to me, is it morally wrong? Well, it, it depends, I suppose, on the, the financial position of the person buying it. You know what I mean? Is, uh, you, 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 you can't have touts unless you're somebody willing to, to pay for it in that sense, right? But if you want to bring your son to a game and you know you have to pay over the odds, you say it's a chance for him to see Ireland play and a chance for him to see Ronaldo. Some people will do that. You know, I personally believe we should have face value and it should be face value only. And you know, I can remember standing outside Croke Park on occasions and at one occasion I had tickets um, for the Tyrone Armagh game and I met a family and I had four tickets and I gave them the tickets and said, look, just enjoy the match and didn't charge them anything, you know, because I just felt that, you know, it didn't make a difference to me. You know, it is the, the, the bottom of the 60 quid each, you know, at the point in time was what really material. What was material was that I got this a great pleasure of seeing this smile on that family before. So I'm against ticket touting, let's be very clear. But I do believe and I do see why sometimes people will pay over the odds to, to get it. But the good thing is it will eventually be illegal. And, you know, that, that legislation should be brought in quicker. We shouldn't be sitting on the fence in that one, you know. Morally wrong. 
to buy a ticket over the odds, uh, Kleena? I, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, in, in terms of I've never done it and I wouldn't do it. I'd be the same as, as Timmy. And if I had a ticket, I'd sell it to somebody at the same value. Um, um, and, and the reality is now there are very few tickets actually come up. At, uh, you know, that old thing of walking up to matches and getting somebody selling them, even for GA, they're very, very rare. But, you know, if you have got, you know, kids or, you know, a relative or a friend who's come home from somewhere and, you know, is desperate to see a match or whatever, like, I just think, you know, there's lots, there's lots of moral decisions to make in life far more serious. You know, there, there, it's, you know, there are always going to be ticket outs. That's the reality. And I'd be amazed to see how how um, legislation will stop it because I think, you know, and, and, and then you also have like, you know, you have all kinds of complications, even with rugby tickets and things like that, where clubs make money off rugby, rugby international rugby tickets and, and raffle them within their own clubs to make money. It's a complicated area, you know, but I, I wouldn't judge anyone too harshly for it, I have to say. Yeah, I'd never like when I see all Ireland tickets going on sale on websites for inflated prices. But then again, you go abroad, you've spent a lot of money to go abroad, you might not be able to get a ticket for a big game and maybe you pay over the odds and you don't feel too bad about it. Gavin, do you have a, a moral stance on this? Or? No, of course not. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, When's the black market not existed? I remember my dad was able to get me Crow Park tickets for the Doves when I was younger and he was able to get Ruby tickets. But for football tickets, you know, he, he definitely probably would have bought off touts because he wanted to bring an eight-year-old see Republic of Ireland playing and qualifying for it was your Italy 90 you know what am I going to do say my father's morally wrong because of that of course not like um, I thought Henry McKean did a very good thing he interviewed touts was it in Japan a couple of years ago um, on News Talk he did a very good he brought a bit of humanity to the tout you know showed them that they're a person who that's what they've always done they're, it's it's a profession to them you know it's a black market profession um, look the sale of ticket act is in and it was people the end got a good news story out of it this week um, but I thought what I saw was, was you know, we live in this culture of blame, especially from our political classes. And instead of taking responsibility, the FAI and the government were at fault for not nipping this in the bud. Um, the Act's been in place since July, I believe. Um, but people were too quick, oh, let's point the finger. And then straight away, once the government pointed the finger at the FAI, the FAI said, oh, well, we have to try and fix this. And then Sinn Féin pointed the I finger at the I think it might have been the venue that needed to get the test in order. I think it was the Viva Stadium. Yeah, lots of people made mistakes. And instead of people taking responsibility of those mistakes, we had that what we've been getting swirling around Irish life for a long time is finger pointing. So, look, it happens. I, have you ever in your entire life not seen ticket touting around big matches? It's uh, well, I was in for the World Cup final in Brazil and um, all the ticket touts are getting arrested by the police. Well, selling uh, tickets in Brazil was pretty it, it, dangerous. It was too dangerous. It was too dangerous ago, for yeah. us to spend the five grand each myself and my friend that we had in our pockets at the time. So, look, we didn't want to end, end up in we, prison in Brazil. We, we didn't want to end up tickets. in Bangu prison. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, like other people have in the past. Um, so look, I, I bought a I bought a World Cup ticket off a of ticket out in two thousand and six for face value because probably it was the worst game of all time, Switzerland Ukraine. So I don't think these things are necessarily black and white. I think selling is definitely obviously much more distasteful than buying, uh, but I don't think uh, I don't think it's something that you bring out the uh, you flog people for. I just think it's part of life and part of society, and it always will be. I think they are addressing it though. But this week was a bit of a bit of a stain on the whole situation. But you know, it's Ireland Portugal. Um, this team's playing well again. Stephen Kenny again. Happy birthday to him! Uh, instead of calling him the forty-nine-year-old Dubliner, we can finally call him the fifty-year-old Dubliner. But he, uh, why would this is this is an enormous game? I, I was over in Portugal and I saw how the Ireland team played that night. And if I saw that game when I was nine, ten years old, I'd be hooked for life. If I saw that Irish performance, I'd be hooked on these this team and these players and Adamida and all the lads for life because of what they've done in the last few weeks. So there's dads, there's mo- mothers and parents looking at their kids going, okay, yeah, i got to bring them, you know, i got to find a way of getting there. So again, it's the market, supply, demand.
Yeah, okay, 53106 if you want to get in touch about that or anything else. For the Saturday panel, we're going to look ahead to the November Internationals in Rugby and talk about the sports books that are being nominated for the Book of the Year for 2021. After the news on Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk, it is Leicester nil, Arsenal 2 in the Premier League. Goals by Gabrielle and Emile Smith-Rowe at the King Power Stadium. We're back after this. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us five three one zero six. Tweet us at Off the Ball. We're back with the Saturday panel reviewing the sporting week just gone with Gavin Comiskey, the soccer correspondent of the Irish Times, who's in studio with me, a presenter of Off the Bench, Tina Foley, and the former Irish basketball team captain and coach, Tina McCarthy. You can listen on News Talk, watch us on the Off the Ball digital and social channels uh, for Periscope on Twitter at Off the Ball, YouTube on Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. We were speaking about the great week for the women's team uh, before two o'clock, and also ticket touting and uh, legislation coming in, and the great. Gavin Riley, uh, presenter here on Sundays, has been in touch uh, to say Ireland v Portugal was covered since 12.01am on Thursday morning, as is any match now in the Aviva in the future. The problem was that you have to apply for your event to be covered and, and neither venue nor organiser did so in time. Gone from resale since. It's Gavin Riley there on Ticket Hadding. We did a listener as well, texting in on 53106. All these supporters who can't get a ticket for the Portugal game and only want to bring their kids to see an Ireland game but can't get one. Where were they when you get a ticket, kids ticket for Fiverr versus Qatar? Well, Qatar was a set out. Uh, not so much fuss then. If you want to support your team, you've got to support them for every match, not just when Cristiano and Bruno are on show, says one of our texters. Um, we also got the small matter of New Zealand uh, coming to town in a couple of weeks. And you can get tickets for, what, €125 Euro there on sale the other day uh, for the top stand tickets. Such palpable relief for the rugby fraternity, the RFU, that they've got full houses back. Japan, New Zealand and Argentina over the next few weeks. Timmy McCarthy, what are you looking to see from Ireland now for these November internationals coming up? I'm actually not sure, John. I, I'm sort of a bit flat about this series for the first time in a long time, even though the All Blacks are coming and they always excite me when they come to town. But I, I'm just not seeing any adventure in Andy Farrell, you know. I just think we're, we're, like he's picking the same old, same old. I mean, Zebo's back, OK, which is somebody I should never have been out of the squad, in my view. But I'm just not sure where we're going at the moment. You know, I, I just think that... Um, we just seem to be going on the same journey and I'm just uh, I'm not clear where he's taking us and that's really a concern for me because we have a lot of talent strong throughout this, this squad um, we're still depending on Johnny Sexton our half I just think that's a real risk for us you know for taking out the next World Cup um, I think Sexton's age will be a factor at that point and his fitness has been a question for a number of years obviously right his talent is never in question so what am I looking for? I'm looking for some hope, I suppose, and some performances that say we're doing something different than we've been doing in the past. But right now, I'm not looking forward to it with any great anticipation, sadly. Any personality you'd like to see in there, Timmy? Well, I, mean, I think Jack Carty has had a phenomenal, you know, like number of months. You know, and he's and not going to be involved. Yeah, and I know he's. I mean, I know he's he's had a he's been there before and there's been question marks about him. But you know, I'm a great believer in you pick players and form it. You know, I, I've always felt in any team I've coached or anything I've played with pick the players who are in form and right now you know to me he's the better best out half in the country and we're just not even he's not even in the panel like and there's a big question mark about that in my view you know Clean out what are you looking forward to seeing players wise uh, style wise from Ireland over the next few weeks are you uh, are you feeling the same way as Timmy 
No, I'm dying to see them. I, I, I think, I mean, look at part of the problem for the current manager is that he hasn't had enough time with them because of COVID. You know, he, 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 he did get the team at a bad time in terms of everything that's happened and he's missed two summer tours. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what they're going to do. I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, a proper, if you like, you know, a game that has more, I suppose, more interest against Japan again to see how Japan are as well. Um, but what I'd really like to see, I suppose, is if, you, if you're going to pick players like like Kieran Frawley or Dan Sheehan and people, then let's play them. You know, um, Harry Byrne has had very little time with Leinster. Let's play him. What frustrates me is when you see friendly matches, so-called friendly matches, and they have you know, brought new players in and they don't use them. That drives me crazy. And it's one of the criticisms I'd have maybe of, of Vera Powell as well as she doesn't run her bench very much. And I particularly don't understand it when you have friendly matches, you know, so-called friendlies, but you have this problem from the RFU, Gavin will talk about it, where, you know, they, they need to get on back on a winning foot and they need to get probably back on a winning foot ahead of the Six Nations, which is, you know, their big moneymaker. So it, it, it's, it's probably a difficult thing, but I'd really like to see him using somebody like Frawley and I'd really like to see some sort of adventure, you know, and maybe use them as, you know, that attacking centre that we've been lacking and that second playmaker that we've been lacking because that's the way World Rugby is going. Japan and Argentina, though, that's the opportunity, Kleena, for for those uh, players to come in. It is. Whatever the All Blacks game, you play your best team against the All Blacks, that's fair enough, but these other games... Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, the offloading, which, you know, Japan delighted us all with at the World Cup. Again, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see Ireland becoming an offloading team. The stats of, for offloading, Gavin will know them more than I do, but I know they weren't great last year. And that was a big problem for us. And, uh, you know, that's if that's the way the game has gone. And also, if that's the way you avoid injury, you know, this bish, bish bash bosh up the middle for me, you know, we've had so many players injured in recent years, you know, and, and the game is so physically demanding now, then surely, you know, to try and get an offloading game well and the other thing I suppose is as well is not to be giving up stupid um, tries which we had a tendency to we still have a bit of a tendency to do so it'll be interesting to see how, you know because you're looking for flair but you're also looking for you know defensive dependability and I suppose they're two different things to marry but I would like to see some of these new players and I'd particularly like to see um, Frawley I think Gavin Coombs is a really interesting player I think it's really interesting that he's a first cousin of the Donovan brothers and from Skib you know isn't it interesting how genes and determine determine you know some of your future maybe in terms of sport and how you can just inherit certain things um, and then make the best of them but I, I would like to see that and I have to say, with Timmy, I'm the same. Jack Carty, I don't understand why he's not there. What positions are up for grabs here? Um, I'd have isn't up for grabs because nobody has proved that, if you just watch the games in detail, nobody has proved that they're good enough to remove Sexton from the position. We just need to forget about Sexton's age. She's just the best out half. Like Jack, Car- Jack Carty has a, a strong case to be in ahead of Harry Byrne because Harry Byrne hasn't played a lot of rugby. Oh. But they've been investing in Harry Byrne now for two years as effectively the guy who could get in and become the permanent 10 even ahead of Carberry because Carberry's form has fallen off the cliff and he is bad injuries Joey Carberry is trading on reputation and he's coming back from an injury that looked like it was going to really just like destroy his career so it's soft soft back with him Munster are playing him like there was an argument that he would he shouldn't be nailed down as the Munster 10 but um I said when you take it all I don't think Jack Carty's done enough I think he's been exceptional in one or two games I thought he actually was very good he outplayed Carberry in that match but um, I'd say he's the third best out half at Sexton is the, look this is a this is not great it's not it's not a good reflection on Irish rugby that Harry Byrne or Joey Carberry hasn't or, or Jack well Jack Carty had his chances and, and you know he's a much better player now than he was in the Japan game 
Yeah, look, you can't get blamed for it entirely, but yeah. That seems to be a little bit of a, a hook that maybe is keeping him out of the... I thought he was excellent for the first 30 minutes in that Japan game in 2019, and then I thought he, he was a problem, a major problem thereafter, you know. Um, so, but that's not why he's out. He, uh, look, yeah, it, it's... T- Timmy has a valid point, and Kalina makes a point that he should be po- possibly in the squad, but um, they're investing in Harry Byrne and Joey Carberry long-term, you know, and I think they're better players long-term. Medium, medium term you have to stay fit fit Gavin that's a problem isn't it yeah they do and they are both injury all three eight halves are injury prone um, but uh, it's still Sexton still Sexton's the best player we Ireland have arguably he runs the show um, I actually do think it's quite a progressive squad though If again if you go into it Balcombe Hume Nathan Doak Dan Sheehan Gavin Coombs and these are that's the future of Irish rugby right there now the thing is though how do you put Gavin Coombs brilliant player how do you put him in ahead of Conan, the Lions starting number eight, and Caelan Doris, who I think would have been the Lions starting number eight if he hadn't had concussive issues? So those two are slightly better than them, but you can. I'd love to see a back row of the three of them, but then what are you going to do? Well, maybe not, they're mapping out for the World Cup two years. What are you going to do? Not pick Van der Flyer? I think all four of them are the key men going forward. That's the four Irish back rowers. Um, Peter O'Mandy obviously still has a fighting chance as ever. But again, like I've just mentioned, Hume, Balcombe, Doak, and Sheehan. I think Balcombe can be the standout star maybe if he stays fit throughout November I think he might just nail it down his pace his athleticism might just shine through Nathan Doak yeah 100% get him in there he, let him he's he's got all the tools to step up but what do we do discard Conor Murray you know um, it's the same thing when you see a form guy but you can't, you can't just remove like the, the best scrum half Ireland's ever had uh, Hume again it, it, Ulster have produced three really special players backs now and he's Balcombe Hume and Doak uh, I think Hume will come true um, but uh, again you have to remove who's there and Andy Farrell was going on about it this week he was like the big boys are back and if you can't physically cope with those guys at training you don't get picked that's why I normally give the benefit of the doubt to uh, they see what, what they see is oh okay like we were people were clamouring for Harry Byrne a year ago okay clamouring 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 saying this guy why is he not in he should be the, he should be fast tracked but the simple facts of the matter were his big brother and Sexton were playing better rugby than him they were more reliable than him and if you don't have a, if your out half's not completely reliable completely trustworthy you're just on hiding to nothing and it comes down to decision making like you could they can see every they can see lots and lots and lots in training but what it really comes down to is their decision making in big games isn't it and that's that's the thing that none of them are proving yet and that's no, well, still you're right Cleena. Andy Farrell and Mike Cat are not completely proven as um, in, in that regard yet um, that's why November is important um, I think and again we had, uh, you were dead right about Vera Pugh not making the decisions on the line but um, yeah I think uh, Andy Farrell and Mike Cat's reputation as national coaches you know in these big jobs will be shaped by their team selections in November I've no doubt about that but I do think it's a progressive squad I do think there's going to be these. There's the next wave of talent is there but again like Dan Sheehan w- looks like he has the potential to be a world class hooker but what, what are we going to do discard Ronan Kelleher you know th- there's definitely room for both of them it always, tr- it always strikes me go on Cleaner well that's what we want we want competition for those places do you know what I mean that's what's going to keep people sharp and keep them at the level they need you know they need to be at now so like it is brilliant that we've so much competition in the in the pack I think for places particularly the second row and the back row but 
I don't think they've, you know, there's a lot of injuries again in the centre. Um, and again, you know, I just, where's the succession planning, if you like, for me? I just don't see as much talent there. That's why I'd love to see, as I said, somebody like Kieran Frawley, who I think has played 10 and played 15 and is versatile and is a big guy. Um, I'd love to see him get a chance. But again, he doesn't have, he has, he's very little match experience, even I think with, um, with with Leinster starting, hasn't he? Yeah, they've been bringing him through. He had a, a bad injury a year ago, but um, I think Frawley and Hume are the succession planning because Henshaw's injured and Ringro- Ringrose is injury prone. I think they're the next two up, you know, and uh, from what I've seen uh, in snippets this season, it looks like they're ready to come through, but you still have to remove the incumbents. I think, I think you're right about Frawley, though. I think it's worth possibly looking at against Japan but I'd be more leaning towards a Doke Sheehan Coombs off the bench against Japan as 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 a side of the next step in the evolution of Andy Farrell's Ireland John just just to develop the point about Andy Farrell's Ireland as a former international coach one of the challenges I would see for Farrell going into this is these are friendlies okay but they're not seen as friendlies they're seen as big and very important tests so the challenge as a coach is do you say, okay, I'm going to take the Japan game and the Argentinian game and, and, and test out players and test out, you know, the new players? But we, world ranking points will be important. Our, our performances, you know, do we put our best team out only for the All Blacks? Um, are we getting trying to get a team ready for the Six Nations? And or are we getting a team ready for the next World Cup? So it's a very difficult dilemma. And I, I remember being in that situation. My philosophy was always in, in that situation. In friendly games, even though they're against other countries, treat them as friendlies. They're friendly games for us to try out systems, to try out, in, in my sport, basketball, defensive systems, offensive systems, and see can players step up at that level. Because one of these that I found playing international level is that it's a different step up. And many people who talk about it have never been in that situation. It's a real step up. So going for Munster to play for Ireland is a huge step up. And you have to decide as a coach and you have to have the courage as a coach. Am I going to use these um, three test games as a way to get us ready for the Six Nations and find out who potentially could be talent for the next World Cup? Or am I going to take these three games to win these three games? Because it's not the same thing. You might end up winning the games or losing the games, but I just would like to know what the philosophy is around this series. I think, from Andy Timmy, this, Timmy, I think the stakes are too high to treat them like friendlies. Um, for starters, again, the Viva Stadium literally for the next 10 years has to sell out every single game to, to, to break even, you know. So losing just affects tickets. So there's sales. no room for experimentation anymore. There never really has been in Test Rugby, you know. Um, there's an odd game. Like you, the risk of experimenting against a Japan and then going in cold to New Zealand is extremely dangerous. Um, again, you mentioned it. If you lose to Argentina, you're putting yourself in in really perilous position on rankings, and rankings have a huge knock-on effect. But also, I, 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 I totally agree with you on basketball, 100, and most other sports. But when it comes to rugby, if you don't, if you put the guy in who you're not sure maybe he's ready for Test rugby, he'll get exposed. You have to kind of have a certain level of certainty, and it has to be from what he's doing in his provincial jersey, and it has to be then what he's doing when they put them in. Um, severe situations in training which is not ideal but I think it, it carries more weight in rugby than for example basketball, football whatever I've often well, felt just, go on to me yeah, just to develop that point uh, Gavin in that then it's very difficult it's very difficult to bring, you, you talk about Balcom earlier uh, as a real potential star and Humus and other stuff so unless you put them in it, you know it's very difficult to see can they perform at the level because with respect playing for their promises is not the same thing you know it's not the same thing it, you made a very good point earlier, which I agree with. Is that 
the coaches see what goes on in practice every day. We don't see that. We, we see the outside situation. So they will see how they perform against their, their peers in practice. But ultimately, you find out whether somebody can play at the highest level in any sport when you put them in at the highest level. That's the risk. And the problem is, for the in a, in a rugby situation, because of the structure of, of, of the, the importance of this series from, from a point of view, ranking and, and performance, um, it's a really difficult one. So I'm simply for Farrell on this particular point. It's something that is, you know, we won't solve for you today. But the question is, are we building for the Six Nations? Are we building for the World Cup? And are we just building for this, these uh, tests coming up? I think you build by building a winning team. I didn't get We've never got it right, though, with the World Cup. Never. Yeah. We haven't. 34 years. Do you think no. we're going to get it right the next time? Well, like it's not with the draw, the way it We're looks. never going to get it right because the, the Six Nations is the cash cow for the IRFU, and so that's the overwhelming If we cost. change things, though, if, if say if you just sacrificed, would, would it make any difference in the World Cup? Too big a financial sacrifice, because then the whole the whole system is based on packing the Aviva Stadium. You pay wages via it. That's why they were, that's why Philip Brown was so out in front centre during the pandemic, saying if the government don't back us, this whole house of cards will crumble, you know? It's based on bums on seats, so it's based on performance. And like, there's, there's a couple of ways of looking at it, right? Eddie O'Sullivan or Eddie Jones is England. Um, I'd point a lot of people to own Slot's piece in the Times today, which is searingly critical of how he treats people. But uh, uh, it's he takes enormous risks and flips over his staff and, and changes players. If he doesn't like, but England have this massive playing pool where they can pick from. New Zealand's attitude is slightly different. Is they go, we, we, we're the All Blacks. You know, it's like LeBron James playing for the Lakers. We have to perform every night. People come to see this. We can't lessen the brand by by trialing people unless we're playing a team that's way off the mark. So if they want to, if they want to test people in the international arena, go down a lower level. But we've seen before when you try with a Georgia, it doesn't really work. I think it's just it's just the way a test rugby works is you have to go full out. But having said that, though, I. I I think Farrell realizes that he has to see if Carberry or Byrne can can come in. I'm sure they're going to start one of the one of the three test matches. One of the whoever's the, the whoever's the second best out half in the minds of the Irish coaches is going to start one of these three tests. That would be it would be madness not to because again, although Sexton is easily the best out half in the country still, um, I don't think he's going to make it to the next World Cup. Five three one zero six. Uh, terrible punditry. Friendly matches. Cop on. Three top class opponents. There are no friendlies in Test rugby, says Richard and Monaghan. Uh, New Zealand game one hundred and sixty five for premium level ticket. Also, everybody talking about blooming new players. And then the next breath, say we welcome Zebo back. Will he be there for the next World Cup? Says one of our textures. And uh, can you ask Timmy about basketball Ireland and uh, vaccination around juvenile players under 18s, Timmy? What's the situation there, Timmy? Do you know at the moment? Yeah, I do because my brother's uh, sex abuse with Cochrane Devon and rang me last night in, in a rant, um, the in a, a real rant which I didn't really need on a Friday night. But <laughs> basically, they have a big a big tournament uh, on, on in Cork this weekend, and the, um, the rules around uh, underage is that unless everyone is vaccinated, they cannot go into the arena. Yeah. So here's the situation that is crazy. So you have two Super League teams playing tonight. Tonight. Okay, or today, this, this afternoon, and Gavin and myself will be coaching the two Super League teams. And nobody will ask us to be vaccinated. Nobody will ask any of the players to be vaccinated, and the people will get, you know. So they're going to, we'll, we'll coach the teams. And then Gavin and myself tonight are coaching 215 teams, and we're not vaccinated, and we can't go and coach the teams. No, that is <laughs> illogical in my view. So it's a real problem. And a number of teams had to pull out of the tournament in Cork um, yesterday for, for the tournament starting today and played over the weekend because of, the, of that ruling. And is there any kind of resolution you can get? Uh, well, I suppose the, the, the authorities would say the resolution is for people to get vaccinated, but that's the you know, individual's choices from that point of view. 
Um, I, I just don't see the logic though of saying that an adult, you know, can you can go to an adult game or a Super League game, Gavin and myself and two coaches, if we're not vaccinated, and then you can't go to a juvenile game if we're not vaccinated. So they should have one rule for all. Whatever the rule is, it should be the rule for all sport. They shouldn't distinguish between the underage sport, in my view, and the Super League sport. Sounds like a question for the new CEO, Timmy. Yeah, and I think it's an, an exciting appointment. Obviously, it was unfortunate in the circumstances of the previous CEO, um, but it's an exciting appointment. I mean, he'll bring a different lens uh, into basketball. And, you know, it, basketball, you know, Tina was uh, a reporter in, in the 80s in, in what was called the glory time of Irish basketball. From a crowd You're point of view, two, <laughs> two Americans, you know, great Rasmus has an, a moment in time, really, or a moment in a decade. But I think that he is a real opportunity to do something significant. Um, for the new generation of basketball players. Uh, we have sports books uh, time, I suppose, of the year. We're getting to what, November on Monday and then we're buying books for people at Christmas and it's an easy one to kind of sort out uh, for somebody you're not sure that what you want to buy for them when you know they're a sports fan. So there's uh, on post uh, book awards, uh, the sports book of the year award sponsored by Easton Association with Virgin Media's R&D M Champagne Football won it last year. So what do we got on the shortlist for this? Well, crossing the line, Willie Anderson's uh, autobiography in conjunction with the Sunday Independent rugby correspondent Brendan Fanning, uh, Devotion, Mickey Hart's book with uh, Brendan Coffey, Dark Blue, Shane Carthy, the Dublin footballer's book, uh, Aidan O'Mahony's book, Unbroken. Uh, Tommy Connell and Keith Earl's book uh, Fight or Flight that's just come out A Nation Holds Its Breath George Hamilton on his life and career and then we also have William Hill uh, nominations so we got This Is Your Everest co-authored by the Limerick journalist Tom English about the 1997 Lions Tour of South Africa we've got boxing writer Trish Dixon nominated for Damage Michael Holding the cricketer on the history of racism in sport and why we kneel how we rise Rob Burrow's Too Many Reasons to Live um, detailing his ongoing battle with motor neuron disease Little Wonder by Sasha Abramsky telling the story of Lottie Dodd and we also have um, Ed Caesar's The Moth in the Mountain about World War One veteran Morris Wilson's uh, dreams of climbing Mount Everest I'm very ashamed to say I suppose maybe that's a good or a bad thing I haven't read any of these books uh, yet uh, Kleena have you picked up anything through the pandemic that you might want to recommend or have you read any of those books or is there anything well, like- that you can you can point to? Yeah, there's a couple of really interesting things here. Um, it's the second year in a row, actually, that a non-soccer book has not, fe- or, or a soccer book hasn't featured in the William Hill, which it was would cause some controversy. I thought Michael Calvin's Whose Game Is It Anyway would make that this year. I'm surprised it hasn't. So that's obviously a reflection of the quality. And the William Hill tends to be, if you notice the difference, and William Hill tends to be, uh, in the last few years, they're not autobiographies. They're mo- they're about much more than that, which I love in a sports book. Um, and I haven't read any of them yet, but I'm really interested. In Damage the book by by Tris Dixon, the book about um, boxing and CTE and 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 uh, head injuries. I think that looks really interesting. And the Lottie Dodd one as well. She she won the first Irish uh, tennis championships. She was the first Irish. I think she was the first woman to win the Irish. Ireland tennis championships or she certainly won in Fitzwilliam she won the Irish championships she was this famous character in the 1800s she played everything so that, that one should be really interesting um, of the Irish ones I've read Shane Carty's and that's a great book um, I really recommend that um, I'm really interested in um, the Keith Earls one um, but I think the problem with the autobiographies now is that we see some so we, we get so many clips of them and, and we hear so much about them before we nearly read them sometimes that's one of the problems but I think the Keith Earls one obviously looks really interesting and is written with Tommy Collin who's brilliant and and then I'm really interested in Mickey Hart's one as well because it's the third book really that Mickey Hart will feature in but it's a very different book and Brendan Coffey is a really really good writer so I'm actually I think I'll get that one because um, as I said I'm not usually it, it's not about not necessarily about football you know so I think I think I'd be interested in that one I've read um 
I've read a couple of good ones and I, there's one I'd recommend if I'm just... We'll never know. William Hill you're, and that you're, Sorry, is, Cleena, you just broke up there for a second. If you just, that no. is called, am I, am I still with you? Yeah, you're still with us now. Yeah, the ones you, you, you've read yourself? I think we've lost Cleena there for the moment. Cleena Foley, you back in a, in a moment. Just let you know, Arsenal have won, folks, 2-0 away to Leicester City. That's a big win. Arsenal now unbeaten in nine games in all competitions. Uh, Gabrielle, the defender, headed in from a, a corner early on and then Emile Smith-Rowe with the second goal. So Arsenal going places under Mikel Arteta and they've sorted things out. They've got a shape to their team and they've uh, won today in the Premier League to continue that out and beat and run. Timmy McCarthy, have you read any of those books uh, that I read out there or is there anything you really picked up in lockdown when we do all a bit of time that you, you might point us in the direction of? So I read a Shane McCarthy book and I thought it was an excellent book. But, um, the two books that really sort of intrigue interest me um, that I'll pick up over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to buy Willie Allison's book because I just think that's a fascinating story. I just think the fact of the challenges that you know are highlighted in the preview of it. So that's one uh, I'm going to pick up. And I'm going to pick George Hamilton up because uh, as a commentator of sports and RT, I just think it means to see, you know, from his lens, you know, just his journey from that point of view. So they'll be the two that I'll pick up for two completely different reasons in that sense. I mean, um, the other one, I suppose, that w- interests me, and um, I think my daughter's buying as a present, which I'm not supposed to know about, is the uh, Aidan <laughs> O'Man- O'Malley book. So I will be reading that because my daughter's buying that for me as my Christmas present. Cleaner, you're back. Yeah, sorry, John. The 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 old gremlins got me here. Yeah, the book I was talking about was is a book called Claire Game On. It's called by um, Sue Antis, who would be very well known in England as a as a if you like a promoter of women's sport. And she's written a book about the rise of women's sport. It's she calls it the unstoppable rise of women's sport. I wouldn't necessarily agree with her, but it's very comprehensive and and has a lot of really good stuff in it. So that's well worth uh, for anybody who's interested in that. Gavin, John, d- John, just one final one final point. One of the best sports books I've ever read, and we were talking about rugby early on, is a book called Legacy Around the All Blacks. And I just think it gives the entire philosophy about what they're about, you know, what it means to play for the All Blacks. It talks about leadership, it talks about being a teammate. Um, that's the best sports book I've ever, ever read. Ever? Legacy. Ever. And is ever. there is a reason to me? Uh, well, I've read it in, in the last two years, so it's about two, maybe two or three years old, but phenomenal book, Legacy. It tells basically what it means to be an all black, and it tells about one of the great examples. It talks about um, uh, when Dan Carter and Richie McCaw were the two leading players in the world. One was World Player of the Year one year, and one was, you know, uh, after they played Wales in a, in a test game, um, these two guys were assigned the job of cleaning up the dressing room. You know, you think of that of, of, part, of humility of players at the top level. I just thought to myself, it taught, it taught an awful lot about. You know, um, they wanted no guys, you know, who, who had BS in their team. They wanted real people who were honest, hardworking. I always love people who are hardworking first. Give me a hardworking player first. Okay, you made a point earlier, Gavin, about the women's team, about they're not hardworking. Give me an honest player first, okay? Because we can develop skills. We can develop, okay? And then give me somebody who's honest and hardworking with talent. And then you have a real, uh, you know, complete player, in my view. Keith Darrell's you just described, I think, yeah. I'm just just stunned to me that you were able to pick out one because it's like songs and films for me I can never pick one greatest sports book I I think of a rough ride and only a game up there at the top but I can never pick one the reason I I pick one John is that I I read the real black one and I thought it was just it was like a PR job in some ways for me it was just a bit holier than thou and a bit you know uh, I don't know just a little bit before I leave (laughs) That's fascinating, okay, so, difference of opinion. 
Yeah, so just for me, John, as I said, um, everything I would want in the team, okay, and even if, you know, whatever way it was put out, everything I'd want in the team was summarised in that book for me. Fair enough. Do you have any, you read any of these books that are on that list? No, but um, after years of torture from these quick-flipped rugby books, it looks like we've finally got two really good ones, you know. Um, many, many years of poor, <laughs> poor sports autobiography, rugby autobiographies. Um, Keith Earls with Tommy Conlon. Um, Keith Earls um, asked the rugby reporters and they'll tell you he is just really good, even in group settings, even in those 15-minute group settings. Keith Earls, there's a, there was an interview he gave on the eve of the 2015 World Cup and it was like 10 of us around him in a hotel cafe and it was just quality. He's just, he's a guy, he's quite introspective. Um, uh, I just uh, have a lot of time for him as a person, a, a rare talent who's battled through so much, much more than we even knew as it turns out from the Late Late appearance. And just from knowing how good an interviewer he is and how good a talker he is, uh, him and Tommy Conlon spending a couple of months together, I don't see how this is not going to be a really, really good, well, well-written well read. Um, and also, Brent Fanning, um, again, I haven't got round to it because uh, he didn't send me a free copy, but uh, his work with Willie Anderson. Um, Brent did a great book called uh, From Dare to Here, which really captured Irish rugby's move from amateur to professionalism about 10 years ago. Um, and he, it looks like he's done a, he spent a lot of time, I think, with Willie Anderson throughout the pandemic. And it looks like they've really, I don't think it's as, it's as much a story about a man's life as it is about a man's, a very interesting man's life as it is about a rugby player, you know. So I'll be probably buying that for the dad for Christmas. Um, the Myler, Keith Duggan's done a good piece in the Irish Times and today. he's on after three o'clock, David Myler. We'll finally talk about a, a, football, fa- a family a football memoir. Book, which is kind of a hurling book though, really, or we don't know what it is. Like, it's just thinking it's about family. Yeah, yeah the Mylers, yeah, I, I'll, um, I'll be getting a hold of that, definitely, yeah. And would you like, Timmy, have the best ever sports book you've read close to an answer to? Me? Yeah. Oh, the best yeah. one I've ever read? Oh, um, that changes all the time. Yeah, yeah it is like, yeah. The, like my, yeah. my, what's your favourite film? It changes all the time. Um, it's Children of Men at the moment, I'd say, my favourite film. But um, the favourite book, like, yeah, yeah. J.R. Moringer had a great influence on me. Like, that, everyone goes on about the Agassi book, Open, but it actually opened me up to him. And it went, As a writer. Yeah, yeah. It, I ended up reading everything he's written afterwards, you know. Um, uh, especially the tender bar, but uh, it's yeah a book that kind of makes you go down a rabbit hole. Um, sports books, God, it's been a while. I, I haven't read sports books for ages, so um, um, I've got back in time. You said a nice one about Janet Wilson on Brian Clough. After saying that, I'm going to go find. Yeah, I'm it. reading it at the moment. Uh, it's nobody ever says thank you, and I've done the whole Clough thing. I did Duncan Hamilton's book, and it Clough's one, one himself. But this is a really in-depth meaty uh, uh, analysis of Clough and Taylor. Did you read The Damned United? Yeah, I did. That's an amazing book. I don't think it's a, a book of fact, obviously. It's no, not it's a fantastic, book. though. But it's an amazingly uh, penned book. I didn't do the Shankly one, but The Damned United is, is absolutely fantastic. You can't put it down. Actually, you would completely agree with you. I think, Kleena, we were having issues with our line there, but um, I'd like to thank Kleena and Timmy. Timmy, uh, best of luck. We'll t- talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, John. Good to see you. Nice to meet you, Gav. Yeah, you too, Timmy. Well done. I'm Gavin. You, you survived your errand here in the OTB studio. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. All right, Gavin Kamuski of the Irish Times soccer correspondent, Timmy McCarthy and Cleena Foley. On the Saturday panel, if you just missed any of it, sports books, ticket touting, the Irish rugby prospects for the November internationals and the great performance of the women's team in that match in Finland during the week was what we had on offer. We're going to have David Myler, Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward between three and five to talk about football. Arsenal have beaten Leicester 2-0 to go fifth in the Premier League. We're back after this. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball.